The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai ki a The Fold e mihi nei, uh, Duncan Grieve, tōku ingoa. My guest today is Simon Power, uh, who is the new-ish uh, CEO of TVNZ and more to the point the person kind of tasked with piloting it into the unavoidable collision course it has with RNZ that will ultimately birth uh, ANZPM the, the working title for the new media entity that has really consumed the, the government's kind of thinking around broadcasting and media for much of the last five years uh, he's a former national minister, and you know, so he knows the politics um, of, of drafting a bill and so on. And so we kind of get into the weeds of that. Might this might be quite technical for for some, for some of our, our listeners, but I think he makes a convincing case that it's very very important that the 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 sort of potentially what might be seen as esoteric things around what type of entity ANZPM is are actually really important or certainly have the potential to be as it sort of exists down the line. Uh, so we, we talk a lot about the merged entity. We talk about TVNZ's own transition to digital, its own ability to reach the kinds of audiences that, that have been largely missing from yeah, from TVNZ and RNZ, but, uh, but uh, large parts of the rest of our, our media too. Uh, and and the, the the biggest chunk of what we what we discuss is what I'm probably most concerned with as someone who uh, is trying to run a, a media business in this country, which is that when this thing comes in, it's got a hundred million dollars a year of new funding. That's tremendously consequential in the the scheme of New Zealand's public media or or media at all. That when it arrives on the scene and is fully operational, that it not suffocate uh, the existing New Zealand private media, particularly those in the digital space like ourselves and so many others uh, which, which are out here trying to do a broadly similar thing. And there's so many different ways that this thing can be executed, some of which will uh, would I think be really, really positive uh, for for the balance of the media and others of which would be profoundly dangerous and and you know potentially existentially so for the rest of us. But uh, and to all this, I mean si- Simon Power is one of two people whose job isn't guaranteed in this. You know, both both himself and Paul Thompson, who leads RNZ, uh, uh, their their roles are disestablished by this this legislation. Uh, there's a very good chance that one of them gets the role. There's also a chance that that someone else does. So, you know, he he is is talking about something which he might ultimately have have no role in uh, in governing. But certainly, the the level of thought that has gone into you know his perspective on this is you know is pretty helpful. We talk about that. We talk about TVNZ's newsroom, uh, which obviously has has had a torrid time the last six months. Uh, and about what drew him to, to media in the first place. Like I say, it's quite a technical conversation potentially, but I think if you're working in the media in New Zealand or interested in it, how the next six months goes, how the submissions change the shape of the ANZPM bill, which is currently before Parliament, all that stuff can will really decide how successful the entity is who it serves and how it impacts the rest of the media. So, stuff's quite important too. Uh, so, this is Simon Power, TVNZ CEO on the fold. 
It's an Akwe, Simon, and welcome to The Fold. Kia ora, good to be here. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about it too. There's so much to get get across. But I wanted to start by asking what, what on earth do you think you're doing? Because you, you've gone from banking, <laughs> which is an industry which main the main attribute of it in New Zealand is it seems completely unable to stop making money to media, which no one seems to think can be profitable when you head out a few years. So what, what, what are you doing? What am I doing? Um, there's there's four, four parts to the equation which really drew me to the role and the opportunity. Um, firstly, you know, the NZ Inc. nature of TVNZ, which, you know, various times in my career, um, that New Zealand lens has been really important to me. And so the opportunity to contribute in that sphere was was really, really too good an opportunity to turn down. So that was the first thing. The second thing which you allude to is the nature of the industry itself. I mean, it's commercial. TVNZ is a commercial operation, but it's, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's profitability, if you like, is something that has to be closely watched. The model's very different to banking. So I'm really enjoying the changed nature of the commercial model from banking to to media. The, the third thing was I'm a bit of a news and current affairs nut and so the opportunity to work in that environment was, you know, a big attraction. Um, you know, if you can't find me on the floor at TVNZ, chances are I'm in the newsroom uh, finding out, you know, how things are, are tracking. I really enjoy that side of it. And then the last thing, which was really important for me, is um, this potential merger with um, Radio New Zealand. And, um, you know, at my core, I'm a bit of a public policy geek. And so the opportunity to work on such an important piece of public policy uh, and legislation was was the clincher, really. And so those those four things together made the opportunity really, really attractive. And I tell you, it has been, the first six months has been, um, has fulfilled all of that hope, uh, all of that potential, if you like, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It's interesting you say that about the uh, the newsroom. As you know, some, some people I've spoken to at TVNZ have said that uh, your predecessor Kevin Kenrick wasn't as close with the newsroom, um, but but that you are, you know, watching watching the shows being made and correspondence with the uh, you know with with key talent. What, what, why is it you know beyond the sort of being a geek? What, why is it you've taken such an interest um, you know in the operations of that aspect of the business? Well, I've been you know on the receiving end of it um, when I did uh, twelve years in in politics, and so um, understanding the construction of stories has been really interesting for me, rather than just being on the on the other end of the microphone um, at the at the interview stage. Um, and watching going from, you know, I went out to Auckland International Airport at the time that there weren't a lot of flights going on with one of our journalists, carried the sticks for him as he interviewed people around the airport terminal, watched the content being downloaded, then went back and watched it being edited and then watched the 12 o'clock news run uh, go through. I found the, the process fascinating. And actually, the truth and the way it's represented um, and the quality of that information is really, really important to the discussion, not just the public policy discussion, but but the public getting the right insights into issues of the day. I find that really interesting. Um, and so I've got to keep my hands off, uh, which I'm very diligent about, but I do find it extremely interesting. How's the newsroom survived? Because they've been through a bit of a trauma, it's fair to say, in the past few months with the Santa Maria situation and then uh, Eurosich's uh, subsequent resignation, you know, th- that event where it feels like you really saw the independence and the yep. the sort of just the, the fundamental, I guess, posture of the, of the newsroom mm. um, came came through in that. What, 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 is, well, what was that like to oversee and, and how, how would you characterise the current state of, of the uh, TBNZ newsroom? So, look, I was extremely proud, actually, of the way that the newsroom went about, um, you know, reporting on a situation which was, you know, challenging. Um, I've got nothing but the greatest respect for the notion of editorial independence, um, and I think that the professionalism that was shown by the newsroom during those those days was um, first class. Um, I, I think that the newsroom is in, in really good shape. Um, they are on task and doing what they love. Um, and, um, you know, I'm very proud to be uh, part of that team and in some cases, you know, leading leading that team. Um, it's a group of people whose desire to tell the stories of New Zealanders I greatly admire. 
um, and the opportunity to sit down with some of those journalists who have been there for some of the most important things that have occurred in New Zealand's history in the last period is something that I really enjoy and value. So, uh, you know, I think they're in good shape. One thing which is interesting to me is, you know, the 6pm news and particularly TVNZ 6pm news remains the biggest single audience block for, for any um, any New Zealand media product. And it has historically been, entirely understandably, the, the dead centre of, of what that newsroom kind of is working towards. Yet, you know, over time, I mean, that, that audience is ageing and we'll, we'll talk about that. But certainly, if you're going to, to kind of reach the aspirational audiences, which on some level the merger is, is entirely about... Uh, it has to kind of, if not, it, it never forgets about 6pm, but certainly it's going to get more broad than that. Is that a project that's underway? And how, how is that going to be sort of handled for, for the newsroom, basically being stretched to, to re- reach a lot of different audience in different, in different places? Yeah, it's quite early to say, um, but, you know, 6 News remains an absolute critical core part of what TVNZ produces every day. Um, and then making sure that we're using that platform to reach some audiences who might prefer a digital platform with the same or similar content is all part of making sure that we are reaching the audiences that you describe. The opportunity that the merger with uh, Radio New Zealand presents is to enhance and grow that capability um, and then to try and reach audiences that are even further, um, you know, even harder to reach presently for all media, actually. Uh, and so that is, that's actually one of the really optimistic and exciting parts about this um, potential merger, which I've said publicly, TVNZ are very, very supportive of. We'll talk about the, the merger a bit later on because I think there's, there's a lot of, of interesting stuff to get into there. I just want to get into the, the the annual results a little bit. The there are only some very sort of top line figures in it, but um, I want to talk about linear and then digital separately because I think you're you're starting to see some quite interesting and potentially some quite challenging stuff around mm-hmm. around linear audiences. You know, like I get sent the the Nielsen um, ratings or all those that are that are publicly released, um, which is very limited, but. You know, there's a very steady and quite well-established decline in linear audiences now, and I understand that they have that they you know they don't capture all the the whole spread of of where people can encounter shows now. But but fundamentally, that sense of linear being the big kind of centre of New Zealand's attention is is really being challenged. You know, and I think particularly about 25 to 54, where mm. it's common to see only four shows with more than 100,000 viewers or over a, you know, over a one in 20 audience share, which is quite unimaginable compared to where what TV was even 10 or 15 years ago. And, and yeah, and that's with Nielsen acknowledging that it's on some level slightly overstated some of those numbers lately. What would you characterise as the, the state of linear, particularly for that sort of under 50 kind of audience? Yeah, I mean, um, you're right. Uh, I wouldn't describe it quite as dramatically. So I think that, um, you know, our our task, if you like, is to make sure that where we're seeing decline in linear audiences, that we are providing other platforms for our audiences to be entertained, educated, informed um, on the on the way through. So it's balancing off the, the kind of steady numbers um, decreasing with an increase using other platforms. I would say, though, that, um, uh, you know, it still remains that at um, various times, and you're right about the overall landscape, but at various times and various shows, particularly with TV One, that um, those numbers are still very significant and we can't lose sight of that. It is still a critical part of our audience to make sure that we're reaching them on a platform that they respect, trust and have had you know a long relationship with. So there is a bit of a trade-off but I'm always, I always think about it um, the way I'd describe it as rather than jumping off the wharf into the cold water, it's kind of wading into, wading into the water. I um, mean, you have to be careful that um, it's a steady but well signposted transition. The thing that's, because and I think that TVNZ has managed that very well with with TVNZ on demand now TVNZ yes. plus, uh, you know, it's persistently 
tried to kind of have a, a foot in an experimental era, era even if you think about um, you know, th- things like re, which is which is uh, still still around, and there there are just there are opportunities there for to go and reach audience. The thing that is is less clear is whether the the whether TVNZ can hold the same audience scale and mind share that it once commanded on TV in a digital space, and that that's on some level seems impossible. But the thing which is is striking to me is. You know, the, the, you, you rightly uh, are very sure, you know, I'm sure you're very proud of the 32% increase in, in total streams year on year, um, up to over 350 million. And what, the, the thing that, that's, you know, it's very hard trying to compare digital and, and linear numbers, but that amounts to a little more than a stream a week per person. Um, you know, when you extrapolate it that way versus it used to be TVNZ could probably command a couple of hours of people's attention every day. So the 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 transition is just the, the, the numbers are orders of magnitude different in scale. And I guess, do you think that it's ever realistic to imagine even in some kind of 10... 15 years into the future that TVNZ Plus can can capture that kind of audience scale and reach all those communities you're, you're, you, we feel like we're missing? Yes, I do. And, um, and I think that uh, the potential merger with RNZ helps enable different, different platforms based presumably off a... You know, digital backbone, which um, TVNZ Plus forms such a such an important part of, and and it's easy to it's easy to talk about the scale of of uh, magnitude of difference, which I I understand why you'd make that point, which is why you've got to keep investing in it. So at no point can you say job done with these transitions. Um, there's always going to be new new trends emerging that we have to be close to, and in many cases, um, ahead of. I mean, re is a classic example. It's easy to it's easy to sort of um, you know talk about it as a as a small a small contributor to reaching these audiences that otherwise wouldn't be reached. Actually, in July. You know, three million video views, seven hundred and eleven thousand TikTok views, and a million Facebook video views. It is reaching an audience that other mediums aren't reaching. Could we do more? Of course. Could we invest more? Well, I think that's part of the reason that we're so focused on our new IP platform investment, and you, that's one of the reasons why you saw our costs lift slightly this uh, this last financial year. The job's not done, but I think that the transition is being laid out structurally in a way that makes sense and gives options. And I think that's the important but not locking yourself into uh, an optionless future or a limited number of options. So that's how we're thinking about it. So when you're taking the example of RE and those statistics you just cited, which are um, you know, pr- pretty impressive, especially given the scale of the team relative to the yeah. scale of the, the balance of TVNZ, they're also built on, you know, TikTok and, and, and Facebook in terms of where those views are happening, which are platforms that are notoriously fickle and notoriously hard to monetize on mm-hmm. for um, for creators. Do, do you but they are also where the action is, you know, especially for those those younger audiences. Do you, you know, like there's 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 a version of the future where I imagine like a an ANZ PM potentially, you know, having a decent chunk of its staff devoted to TikTok, which would be really confronting, for example, to the New Zealand production sector, which likes to make a wholly different style of production. Do, do you, how do you see that, you know, is, is that something that you can see happening? And how do you balance the kind of, the desire of the infrastructure of New Zealand to make a particular product yeah. with the desire of the audience to watch something entirely different? That's a great question. Isn't it? That is a great <laughs> question, um, but you know that, that's um, that's exactly what uh, we are spending you know big parts of the week thinking thinking about. One of the things that struck me since I've been in this uh, in this role actually is because of its scale and place in the ecosystem, the responsibility that TVNZ has to the production sector um, and also to the advertising you know to the advertising and media agency industry who, you know, are relying on us as that medium to reach their customers. And the Communications Council and the like would 
would use numbers like about 2.4% of GDP is, um, is in that cohort of activity which occurs in their sphere of influence where we assist in reaching those audiences. So TVNZ's role in the middle of that broader system, which I think you're you know, describing, is something that I must admit I'd it struck me the responsibility that sits with TVNZ and and by definition, the new um, public media entity to understand its responsibilities to both sides of the uh, of the equation. I think that can be done. It's just a matter of thinking about uh, the strategic, as I said before, the strategic necessity to keep your options open um, and not closing. And this is unfortunately, I think we're. You, you know, might want to talk about this a bit later, but whether legislation for the public media entity creates a few grey areas, if I can put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to talk talk about that kind of cons- you know, a, a fair amount um, shortly, but I do think it's kind of worth drilling into that because there, there is a sense that, I mean, again, the whole rationale for, for the merger is the, is the sense that TVNZ and, and RNZ both serve... An, an older New Zealand audience very well and there has been an assurance throughout this that, that nothing will change or that what is non-commercial will not be non-commercial. Yes. We might yes. get to the, some of the complexities of that in a bit but associated with that is that you've got two organisations which have been have spent decades learning how to do a particular thing incredibly well and are now going to be tasked with learning something entirely new at the same time some of which will feel like it's in conflict with the with the values and the approach. How will you know? Obviously, we, we don't know yet. You're one of the two people whose job and security um, over the next year. <laughs> that's right. But how next will, six months? That's true, yeah, that's true. True. yeah, yeah. Very relaxing. Uh, <laughs> but how will you know? How, how do you sort of encourage an environment that embraces innovation while kind of defending those? traditional values, because it that does seem like actually a harder thing than, than it might otherwise appear. Well, let me let me just flip it slightly, if I, if I may, and just say that the way I think about it is for us to operate successfully, we have to operate at scale. And so we have to hit, reach those audiences at scale for the, for the machinery of the operation to correctly um, compete, but also to deliver. Um, that scale is what affords you the opportunity to um, work in areas to reach um, audiences that you wouldn't otherwise um, reach. It's that that kind of you know opportunity that the scale interaction presents. If you weren't operating at scale, reaching a diverse range of audiences who are smaller in number, uh, that gets a lot more complex for a business model. So the new public media um, entity affords that opportunity. But it is still fueled by the commercial, uh, or partly fueled by the commercial um, opportunities that the TVNZ arm will bring to the new media entity. So they're not they're not necessarily in conflict. Um, in fact, you need the scale to achieve the the reach into audiences that you otherwise wouldn't wouldn't be able to reach. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O-Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. And the other aspect that we haven't kind of touched on before we get into the merger proper, you know, is that sense that the value of a of a linear viewer in terms of what it delivers uh, commercially versus a, a TVNZ Plus viewer, that that hasn't been made public. I'm not even sure if you can fully disentangle the two, but certainly one feels a lot smaller, both in terms of the amount of content they consume and the the, the lower ad load that we have. Uh, in a TVNZ Plus, 
setting aside the fact that once you get into, like I say, these distributed platforms, you're not going to be deriving any income from them at all or, or a far, have a far more limited ability to do so. Is that what the $100 million is for, essentially? Is it, does it acknowledge the fact that when you move into these spaces, TVNZ's commercial arm almost starts to sunset with, or, or certainly shrinks proportionately you know, as, it, as it moves into digital? So um, I guess that's a question for the minister um, as, as he thinks about how that balance might occur. But I think about it slightly differently, which is that the better the commercial arm of the new entity can do, the more that can be reinvested into local content and into technology which allows those audiences to be reached through different platforms, the less the impact is on the taxpayer. So actually, I, I think... Um, you know, a not-for-profit model, which is what seems to be presupposed, doesn't mean there's no operating surplus. It just simply means, presumably, that you don't return a dividend to the shareholder. So there is an opportunity for that arm of the business to help fuel the opportunities, either through platforms, um, uh, either through more local content, which is the key differentiator between us and the international streamers, um, to really make the new public media fly, uh, entity fly. And I, I think, you know, it's nuanced, but if you, have the, if you have the right strategic approach to the setup of the new organisation, that's one of the real upsides. Look, in any merger, you want it to be value accretive, not value destructive. Um, and so this is an opportunity to really grow this, op- this you know, this set of, set of audience reach. And if the organisation is audience-centric and is responding to what it is that audiences want to see, want to hear, but also on the platforms they want to see and hear it, there's no good reason why it can't coexist. Yeah, I think that 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 note, which I gather was part of your submission um, on the ANZ PM bill, that that audience centricity be a kind of a bedrock of it is is an important one. And I I don't think obviously everyone's always about their audience, but it's there's a difference between about the audience you have versus the audience you you're sort of required to get or you're missing. And I think that's the thing that maybe not, honestly none of the New Zealand media has really done a perfect job of, and well, that's the opportunity. Well, here's the opportunity. That, that's right. And I mean, the, the key to that is, um, you know, it has to be done in a way that reflects back what audiences will tune in for, both, you know, audio, visual, digital, etc. You know, the word um, that's used in the bill, enlighten, is not a word I like. Um, it's got a tone of gosh, aren't you lucky we're here, Um, as opposed to I like educate better because it says here are the facts, let's have a debate, you make your own mind up. Um, And I like that as a a way of thinking about the opportunity. It's quite interesting, right, because historically, if you look at the very sort of origins of, of public media, they did have quite a paternalistic quality to them. It was like the great unwashed and uneducated, here is how you should think about your nation kind of thing. And, and often that you know, that was not uncomplicated, but but it was was made to be probably oversimplified by by those broadcasters. And I think, you know, here particularly with all the different communities that we're serving, to take to to, to start to presuppose what what it is they'll be interested in or what they should be interested in, you know, that there's a very high chance of some expensive failures, I suppose. One thing before we get into the merger proper is. Yeah, both, both our organisations have um, uh, participated in the Public Interest Journalism Fund and I think it's been underappreciated the extent to which that, setting aside the work that has been created, but certainly the idea of it has been weaponised and has become subject to something which is, is perceived as a government influence over our editorial content. What, what impact has that had on the newsroom and on public confidence or, or the public's relationship with, with TVNZ's, particularly its news products? Um, pretty pretty minimal, you know, from our from our point of view. There's, you know, our our engagement with the fund has been, you know, relatively limited. Um, that's not to say that, you know, we're not working with New Zealand on air and the fund and, you know, for one or two one or two projects, but it hasn't probably been as um, 
you know, as as embedded as in some other um, news organisations. But you make a really, really strong point, which is that, um, and it comes back to the new public media entity, is that there is an issue of substance around the editorial independence um, and the um, uh, ability to get those trust quotients to the point where misinformation and disinformation is put aside by our listeners or our viewers. There's also a perception issue, um, and it's really important that sufficient distance sits between um, those organisations or ministries that fund the new entity um, and the and the way the new entity operates in of itself. That perception will has the has the potential to impact on that trust factor, and um, I think that should be a really important part of the select committee process is making sure that the structure of the new entity gives it its best chance um, when it comes to enshrining that editorial independence and giving sufficient distance. That's not to say that, um, I think you used the phrase weaponised, that's not to say that there aren't always issues uh, in that sphere, but the perception part is, is just such an important factor here. I mean, and that's probably a good way to, to, to come into sudden to talk about the merger itself because there is a there is a, a bit of a perception out there. It's, I don't think it's anywhere near a majority of our population, but but certainly that the relationship between media and government has is too cosy, um, and that suddenly having a new entity which has uh, more funding than has more direct funding than has that any entity has ever had in our history there's a high chance that that the that those people who are already of a mind to to kind of be suspicious of the the motives and and outputs of of uh, the media more broadly will seize upon this as you know something other than what it intends to be how do you think that, that they could change that? Because I, I know that you're critical of the idea of an autonomous crown entity as the appropriate vehicle for this. I also think, you know, while right now we have a relatively benign political environment in terms of relationships to the media, almost no other similar country has one right now. You look at the way the BBC has become so politicised uh, in the UK, at least, you know, the Conservative Party's attacks on it have been. Trump's um, attacks on you know the quote unquote liberal media in the US, it's almost weird that we don't have that here in some respects. Long may it continue, but h- how can the creation of this avoid almost designing its failure or at least a really difficult uh, you know birth to it in, into um, the legislation which creates it? Yeah, so um, we've made our submission. We've put our submission into the select committee, um, and we, you know, we tackle kind of this issue of the structure of the new organisation head on in that submission. Um, look, I have said TVNZ is supportive of this idea. I'm supportive of this idea. Um, I knew when I came into the role that this was the looming piece of work sitting there, and I came in thinking I, you know, hopefully can make a contribution. Um, to making sure that it kicks off in a in a successful way. I have also said, though, that the legislation which enacts the arrival of this new entity is poorly drafted, um, and it is. Uh, and the thing that I, you know, if you think about, if you think about entities in a series of concentric circles moving out from the core of gov- the government um, public sector, um, right on the margins of those is the crown entity company. Um, which effectively allows complete independence from ministerial uh, intervention. Uh, Radio New Zealand and Television New Zealand at present um, are both that model. This would this would pull that um, entity in one set of circles closer to uh, to um, uh, to the centre. Um, and I think that you know our submission would will be that that is the wrong that is the wrong approach so what, what how would that in terms of the ability of a minister or the ability of a minister to be perceived to impact a more operational aspect of the entity what what is the difference between those two uh, concentric rings if you will well one allows for ministerial direction and one doesn't so uh, so what kind of ministerial direction is is plausible under the current approach 
Under the Crown Entity Company? Yes. No, there no, is, no, no, under the uh, Autonomous Crown Entity. Yeah. So it's a limited general power. So what, what the bill does is it sets out what a minister's powers are um, and then makes clear where they can't be exercised. Um, so says what it can do, then says what it can't do, and then in two or three parts in the bill, but certainly under the ministerial powers section, then describes why editorial independence is so important as a kind of drop-down, if you mm. like. Mm. So the way I would think about this is twofold. It still leaves a residual power in the legislation for a minister to give direction. My question is, why? Why would you have that residual power in there if trust um, and and uh, an alternate to misinformation and disinformation is so central to the core of the bill? Um, and why... And why don't you bring in a new Clause 6, for example, straight after the Treaty Clause, which enshrines on its own pillars editorial independence right at the front of the bill and makes it crystal clear um, that the principled part of the legislation enshrines that rather than appearing in two or three places in the bill as kind of a bit of an afterthought. Um, I think that's really important. And I think that the very nature of um, an autonomous Crown entity even if in substance this existing government and the next government didn't use those powers at all, the fact that they're residually sitting there presents an opportunity. And, and as I said you know, publicly a week or so ago, I'm not worried about this government. I'm not worried about the next government, actually. But if in 15 years' time a more, how can I say, activist um, minister or government decided that they wanted to you know, influence the, the outcome... That power is sitting there. And the question you've got to ask yourself is if public media independence is the core of the idea, the kernel of the idea, why would you blur that perception um, by allowing allowing that power to um, exist under the autonomous crown entity model? So I think that's how I think about it. Here's a chance to, I come back to this point, here's a chance to aggregate the value and the opportunity of the entity rather than to kick it off with a slight question mark um, over over that ministerial opportunity. I mean, you know, one of the things that that you know is on some level plausible is is that the minister might say, you know, drama is incredibly important to to, to New Zealand, or you know that that a particular type of programming. I mean, the, the previous charter kind of and and the Broadcasting Act itself make explicit reference to these kind of protected genres, which you know while desirable, also feel increasingly kind of detached from the very blurry and fragmented world that we're in now. Do, do you, you know, what, what do you think of the, of the Broadcasting Act and, and you know, of, of how this entity should, should relate to, you know, things like that and, and New Zealand On Air, like the, 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 the general kind of mm. existing infrastructure of New Zealand's public media, I suppose? Do we really want a minister of the Crown telling us whether or not we've got enough drama on TV? Like, honestly, I mean, the, exa the example that this is the thing I'm worried about, actually, yeah. is it's less about... I don't know, think it's about the news. I just think it's about the, the things that you make, you know, in a lot of ways. I just think you get on and leave it to the experts yeah. that are running, yeah. you know, running the organisation. As far as the infrastructure is concerned, um, I would I would step back and say... Look, there are some areas where the bill is very unclear. Um, the role of the commercial opportunity um, in the bill is barely gets a barely gets a mention, and it certainly doesn't feature strongly in any operative clauses. The role of New Zealand on air is not as clear um, as it could be for that part of the that part of the infrastructure of the ecosystem, if you like, to use the parlance. And so, to to that end. There is still a requirement, and I'm sure the select committee will think about this deeply. Um, is have we? Will this bill make a statement about what the sector needs to look like alongside this new new media entity? I think that's going to be quite an important consideration for the select committee. Well, what do you think about the the relationship between New Zealand on air? Because that that effectively just goes away. You know, you you are now direct commissioning for the first time, and well. Not for the first time, because obviously you know, you're, you're currently di direct, yep. direct commissioning some shows, yep. but the, you become the commissioner in charge of everything. You know, do you have a view about the impact of this on New Zealand on air? And there's some kind of vague idea that seems to be floating around that New Zealand on air and ANZPM will discuss what you know have some kind of open line about 
what what sort of things they commission, which also does, doesn't seem to be compatible with the kind of natural and mostly healthy competition that will exist between the things that or the entities that New Zealand on Air continues to interact with and, and yeah. NZPM itself. Look, I think, um, you know, if I was New Zealand on Air, I would be turning up wanting clarity. Um, through the through the select committee um, through the select committee process, and once the bill comes out of select committee, I think in late January. Um, I, I, so I think that's kind of to one side. I think you know the bill requires the new entity to collaborate with other parts of the sector, um, and it makes sense when there's a whole lot of intellectual property and experience sitting in New Zealand on air that you know those sorts of discussions could. Could occur, but there will certainly be, in some cases, a step in the commissioning process which will be, you know, lifted out um, according to the, you know, from what we've seen from the bill. I still think, though, that the how that's actually going to occur uh, requires some consideration from the select committee before the bill goes back to to Parliament. It's quite short um, on some of the operational uh, detail. That's fine if the operational detail has been considered alongside the legislation. And so going back to first principles, you say, well, is the legislation a principles-based piece of legislation or is it going to be highly prescriptive? And it's a bit confused. The legislation's a bit confused. So in some areas it's principled. The charter is quite specific and quite prescriptive compared to some of the other charters that we've looked at, you know, around, um, uh, around the world. So there's a bit of... You know, there's a bit of um, rebalancing to do, is the way that I'd describe it um, during that select committee process. Another aspect that is is unclear, I think it talks about, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. that, that which is currently non-commercial shall remain non-commercial. And that's very easy to understand how that works in the case of something like RNZ National or Concert. But where it's, you know, right, right now... TVNZ makes barely any podcasts, RNZ makes a bunch of them. Does that mean that podcasting will be a non-commercial area or does it mean that currently commissioned RNZ podcasts will stay non-commercial? You know, or like like it, and that, that is material for the sector. You know, we're currently recording a podcast which we would, you know, which uh, should be commercialised in an ideal world. And a lot of the digital media industry in the private sector in New Zealand is on some level quite nascent. And if this new entity comes in with a heavy amount of subsidy and is even even if it's just sort of taking a, a sort of a nominal commercial fee, it has the potential to kind of c- collapse uh, these you know, commercial um, commercially funded operations like ours, for example. I, mean, I am talking out of self-interest here, but I'm very curious about how the new entity will interact with the private sector media because there is a world in which it actually suffocates it, particularly in digital environments, which, as we know, the commercial foundations are just far different to the the sort of linear and analogue ones that they replace. Yeah, I think, um, well, as I said before, the bill at this stage, you know, speaks heavily to collaboration with the rest of the rest of the sector. Um, as far as the commercialisation of different products goes, um, actually, it's just not clear. And so I think that the select committee, again, has got a bit of a... It is clear in respect of the area that you describe as ring-fenced, but more broadly, um, it'll be interesting to draw out from the select committee and their report back to the House how they're thinking about that, uh, because that will help inform um, you know, the new board and the new management's view of how um, the public media entity will be strategically constructed as well as what a strategic plan might look like. So I, th- I think there are some key questions that are unanswered by the legislation and that's certainly one of the ones I'd put in that pile. In terms of your perspective, and again, we don't know who's who's going to be running the thing, it might be you, might be Paul, might be neither of you, but the, the relationship with those who are already either meeting that audience or, or at least aspiring to meet... Um, not, you know, the, the sort of more diverse yeah. missing audience, as you might say. There, there has been fear, and I've spoken to a number of people who are operators or producers uh, on this podcast over the past year or so, that this new entity comes in and basically just, you know, either squeezes them, takes talent, takes market share, like, like that, it, that it has a, that it, without even necessarily meaning to, that it, it sort of, 
takes the the breath out of the lungs of of the 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 currently existing um, operators, whether that's you know, Pacific Media or Iwi Radio, all the people who are out there trying mm. to meet the, audi- the the sort of missing audiences. What's your you know is that inevitable or how how do you how do you avoid that or is there a more collaborative vision that you might have for for how this money might be spent? Yeah, I've heard a bit of that in market as well. I'm just not sure that um, that'll be the case. That um, a new a, a new entity, as I say, required under the legislation to collaborate. You know, the more views there are out there, the better. But um, there's collaboration, and then the, you know, like you can do lip service collaboration, or you can do a very like the, it's another area where there is a huge amount of imprecision in the language. Yes, yes. Yeah. no, I, I I accept that. Um, uh, but I, but I also think there's an opportunity during the select committee to really nugget out what that word and that phrase means operationally. And it might be that the select committee says, actually, we're going to retain it in a legislative sense. You have to work it out when you get there, whoever whoever gets there. Um, but I also think there, there are, this new entity will operate in two two kind of markets: the domestic market, and then what are we seeing from international? You know, streamers. Um, which part of that? Which part of that market are we are we operating in um, as well? And I think um, the the opportunity to, you know, potentially. And again, this is you know, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But the, but potentially the opportunity to collaborate can be across a range of uh, of opportunities. And I I wouldn't see I wouldn't come into it with the mindset that this is. You know, um, what did how did you describe it? A big gravitational pull, rather than it's an opportunity to really add value to the whole sector. And I, I know I've said it a couple of times, but it has to be um, value accretive. This proposal, as soon as it starts undermining either existing opportunity within the two organisations or has anything but a positive effect on the broader media ecosystem, then you've got to stop and ask yourself some questions. Right, because because it's interesting because. Historically, TVNZ has has not always behaved that way, and that's entirely understandable. It's currently a wholly commercial organisation, essentially. But you know, so for example, its relationship with Freeview has been fraught at various times, and there is a sort of a known hole, or there's certainly been conjecture. We published some about uh, what a an all of New Zealand streaming platform might look like, whereby there might be your TVNZ originals, but you know, potentially you would have other channels within it that could be hosted by uh, by other sort of creators. And and I think that it's that sort of area, which is, again, unimagined in the legislation, yes. but it's absolutely crucial in terms of whether it is value accretive to the sector and there are homes for a lot of different kinds of content that can be surfaced to different audiences in different ways versus the idea of the, you know, because there's no way around it. $100 million a year in a sector of our scale is a phenomenal sum of money, especially if you look at it solely on the content creation side. Yeah, but let's come back to the, you know, that's TVNZ. Um, We are a commercial organisation and we compete. Um, As part of a new public media entity with a shared shareholder with Radio New Zealand, that mandate um, for the the new organisation is, you know, is... It's, it's, it's different, but it is different. But TVNZ is going to be a much larger share of the headcount. Yes, going into this thing, and commercial is the fundamental DNA of TVNZ, and I think that's yes. the the thing which you know, uh, you know, like that that will be quite difficult to potentially train out unless there is more explicit direction around... Well, the other thing is, I mean, that's a cultural question, right? It is a cultural question. It's a cultural question. So whoever leads the new organisation, you know, merging two entities together at um, at a structural level is one thing. Getting the right formula from the legislation to operationalise, to run the machinery so that it understands its role in the sector is a second is a second question. And then the third question is how what cultural um, emissions does this organisation wish to place into, into market, internally? What sort of talent do you need? Um, all of those sort of things. So I kind of think of those three pillars um, as being kind of intertwined, but also they're deliberate in their own right. So do you, do you have a sense uh, that 
were were you to be the, the sort of will you have you gone for the job? Like I don't, I don't even know what, what stage that aspect. <laughs> no, of it's no. Um, Is it an inevitability that you will? Do you think or close to? And inevitably that you will go for the job. No, look, I'm I'm um, I'm holding my cards pretty close to my chest. I, I haven't made a decision yet. I knew what I was coming in to do in this role. I'm very happy to do it. But I've got a job to do, and my job is to make sure that Television New Zealand arrives on the 1st of March with its engines running, operating at the fullest capacity, doing the best it can for its own staff and its audiences and its shareholder on the 1st of March. Um, We certainly don't want to be, as I've described it to my team, limping to the start line. Um, I'm much more interested in arriving in a way that says we're ready to help. Um, And so that's first and foremost in the front of my mind at the moment. Yeah, based on your your experience of the last six months, do when you, you say it like that, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Do you feel like the organisation has it in itself to move from a, a basically a purely competitive mindset to to that more collaborative one that that it can be a sort of a, a you know in in concert with RNZ be a, a, a force that kind of wraps the, the balance of New Zealand's media, you know, in, it, um, among its operations and, and helps uplift it, uplift it as opposed to kind of just, just gradually suffocating it with, with the advantages of, of scale and, and subsidy? Yeah, I look, all I can tell you is how TVNZ is a feeling at the moment, which is excited about the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm not Running the public media entity, the legislation hasn't passed yet, so we might be getting a bit ahead of ourselves as to what it might do it's and what it might out, look like. Down it, the pipe it's coming down the pipe I'll certainly grant you that. And it's a, um, you know, I'm reminded of an episode of uh, Yes Minister when, um, you know, when I look at this legislative time frame, I would say it's very courageous. But but getting getting past that, um, there, you know, TVNZ is coming at this as enthusiastically um, as possible, and um, we understand that our contribution um, is is to be the commercial engine of the new uh, of the new entity, but also that our mandate, um, once these two entities are merged, would become different, um, and so that's that's exciting. Hey, thank you so much for, for coming up here and being willing to have such a knotty conversation about things which are fundamentally undecided yet for so much of it. But uh, it's been, been great to meet you and, and have you up here on The Fold. It's been great to be here and, um, you know, thanks very much for having us in. The Fold was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It was hosted by Duncan Greve, produced by T.I. Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O-Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.